Hello, this is Melissa Lau, Associate Pastor of Congregational Care and Missions at Wesley Memorial United Methodist Church. Thank you for subscribing to our podcast. Our sermon series for the month of October is based on the book of Matthew. Please jump in and learn along with us as we go on this exciting journey. Thanks again for listening. God bless. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for worshiping with us. As we go into the second week of this sermon series we're doing based on the Gospel of Matthew, last week we heard about this called the parable of the vineyard and how uh, really the vineyard and the owner of the vineyard is God and the vineyard, the people who tended to it were the nation of Israel and God and Jesus was saying, I'm going to toss them out and give the vineyard um, to, to different people to be in charge. And, and it wasn't what people expected him to teach. And what we're going to see today is Jesus does what people least expect. He, he teaches on things and says things that are upside down to our, what we think he should do or say. That he's listening to the voice of the Spirit and, and get, being guided by the Spirit um, and not speaking and acting from his flesh. Uh, he's perfectly God and perfectly man. And so Jesus does what we least expect. He does things that, that no one else would really do. His, his uh, motivations are different. For example, when Jesus goes into the temple and he does what's famously called the cleansing of the temple, he turns over tables, he is chasing people out with a whip, uh, he is angry, he is yelling, he is uh, basically overturning this system of Pricing people to pricing people out to worship God, who would pay these really high prices for animals that would be sacrificed on the altar. And Jesus says, "This is a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of thieves." And people are probably looking at him and thinking, "Hey, these tables and money and animals—they've been here forever. What's the big deal?" Or Jesus is casually strolling by a fig tree, and. Uh, and the fig tree is not producing fruit. And Jesus looks at the tree and curses it and says, may you never produce fruit again. I'm sure someone was watching him do this and probably was thinking, Jesus, it's just a tree. There's lots of other trees. Why do you need to curse that tree? Or the night before Jesus is crucified, he's up all night. He's praying with such intensity that he's bleeding out of the pores of his skin. Have you ever, I've never prayed that hard before. He's praying with that much intensity that he's bleeding. And what are the disciples doing? They're asleep. It's upside down. He's doing what people don't expect. But then when Jesus gets captured in the middle of the night by the temple guard, Jesus is calm. He's not reacting out of anger. He is still. And then Peter acts out of anger with a sword and starts lopping off ears right and left. And Jesus heals the, the ear, which I would like to have seen that. That's pretty amazing. But you could replicate these stories over and over again. Probably many that weren't even recorded in this book. That he does and says what people don't expect. He does the counterintuitive thing to us. He goes against what we maybe would call common sense because he's listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He is obeying his Father in heaven perfectly. And in Matthew 22 today, we're going to see another parable. And he teaches in a way that people, again, don't expect. He doesn't necessarily speak plainly. He speaks in a parable. So again, why? Why does Jesus use 
parables. He, this is true to know that God hides truth from those who assume they know everything. But he reveals truth to those who would diligently seek it. Jesus will reveal truth to those who want to know. But he conceals it from those who refuse to know. And so here in Matthew 22, we see this upside down nature of the kingdom of God. It's not what we expect. Some would even say it sounds unfair, but it's not. God is not the one who has erred. It is us. And so I'm entitling this today, The Invitation and the RSVP of the Heart. The Invitation and the RSVP of the Heart. Matthew 22, starting in verse 1. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves or servants to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered. That means it was very nice a banquet, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main street and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those servants went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So the first part is the invitation. You see an invitation repeatedly extended in this parable. And within this parable is an allegory, the wedding feast of Christ. The ultimate culmination at the end of time of Christ and his church, his bride, and the celebration that will ensue with every tribe and tongue and nation represented beyond almost without count. Clearly, the king in this story is God, and the son is Jesus Christ. And the first people called to this celebration were the people of Israel. They were invited repeatedly to a royal wedding. Now, many years ago, I watched this show on TV on USA Network called Suits. And the first couple seasons of it were actually really good. The last couple seasons turned into a bit of a soap opera for me. Didn't get into it as much. But we were really into this show. Maybe you've watched it. Um, and there was an actress on this show named Meghan Markle who uh, was on the show. And after many seasons, she gets written off. The show, she's not on it anymore. And I thought, well, maybe she got a movie deal or some other project came up and she's not involved with Suits anymore. But then a few days later, my wife said, hey, Prince Harry is getting married. And I was like, oh, cool. And I saw the picture and, 
And I said, oh, he's getting married to the girl from Suits? That's cool. And then I looked at her Instagram account, and, and it showed how the entire cast from Suits got invited to the royal wedding. All of them attended. All of them were there. You see, a royal invitation is not something you turn down. You make time for that. You clear your schedule. No matter what it is, you be there. You go. Because in a royal invitation like that, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and everything has been provided for you. Everything is ready. You know, I've done a few destination weddings. I've gone to some beaches. I haven't been invited to a foreign country yet, but hey, I'm always open to that if you want to call me. But I have been done some different places like Charleston and the beach and things like that. And people are very great or sweet. They'll provide for me a room or something and get a few free meals. You know, of course, I would never turn that down. But when you get invited to something like that, you make time for it. Everything is prepared. An opulent and unlimited amount of food, your travel, your hotel, your clothing. There's no limit to this celebration Jesus is talking about here. Why would you turn that down? Who in their right mind would turn down an invitation from not just a king, but the king? Now, well, some people could have hatred for the king. Some people could find that maybe the son is not trustworthy, they think. Or they don't like the policies of the king. Maybe they don't like the other people who will be at the party. So I don't want to be there at that celebration. It reminds me of Psalm 81, 11 and 12, which says, But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsel. You see, when this life is over, we go to the place of our own choosing. We go in the direction that our heart was already moving. God does not cast anybody into hell just as he does not cast anybody into heaven. We have free will to choose. And so many today do not submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so God allows us to move in the direction we wanted to go. Does he want that? No. But we continue to follow our own counsel, our own stubborn egos, and that's the way we move. And this is what is happening with this ongoing story with God and Israel throughout the Old Testament especially. This push and this pull, this tension, this we return to you, Lord, and now we're going to follow other idols. It's this constant back and forth. There were repeated invitations from Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel. You could go on and on. Many were called, but few, if any, responded. How many people got into the promised land after Exodus? Go back and read your Bible. Not very many. Not very many made it through. If you read verse 4 of this parable, go to verse 4, and it says, he sends more servants. God sends a repeated invitation. Look, it has been prepared for you. You know, in our culture today, we probably get one invitation to a wedding. Maybe you'll get like a save the date magnet for your refrigerator or a little thing like that or an email. But we get one invitation and that's enough. 
You know, but God re-extends this gracious invitation to Israel in this parable, but I believe to us today as well, over and over again. And God does this even at the expense of possibly being humiliated and rejected. God continues to extend his invitation to people, and he wants them to respond because everything's been prepared. The table is set, and you can come by faith, by simply choosing Christ and following him with your life by faith. This free gift that he pours out for all people. You know, I've done a lot of weddings at this point, and I have always, I love doing weddings. I really do. It is one of the best days. I always say this for people at their weddings. You know, this is when people are at their best, usually. This is when they're at their best, though. We come, we're dressed up, usually. We want to look good. It's the one time in your life, maybe, you'll see all the most important people of your life in one room to celebrate, to come together. Those people will travel from long distances. I did a wedding a few weeks ago. People traveled from Wisconsin. They traveled from far away to be there. And it's a re- reuniting with old friends and family. I've seen even at weddings, divorced parents will make it work, even for one day, to celebrate their child. Weddings are usually celebratory and healing events. And so if there is ever a day to come together, Jesus is saying in this parable, to celebrate, it is this, this wedding. It is this celebration of the son and his bride. And this invitation shows God's heart is to be with his people and to bless his children and to celebrate. But not everybody responds. You know, I was looking up this week, what were the most expensive weddings ever done? Ever. Now, there was top 10. I'm not going to go through all the top 10. But uh, one of them was Kim Kardashian and Kanye West's wedding. Who wants to guess how much it was? Someone in the room, shout it out. Come on. How much? 700000 700, Nope. Three million dollars, correct. Three million. They flew their 200 guests, got flown to Florence, Italy for a price tag of $250,000. They rented a fort for $400,000. One of her two dresses cost $500,000. For their 200 guests, got free hotel in Paris and Florence for a price tag of five hundred grand. Now, that's not the most expensive wedding, though. When Michael Jordan got wedding, got my wedding, when he got married a few years ago, his wedding was $10 million. And Usher sang at his reception. But the number one most expensive wedding of all time, adjusted for inflation, 1981, Princess Diana and Prince Charles. Adjusted for inflation, are you ready? $110 million. Now, if you refer to those expensive weddings, this wedding that Jesus is referring to, this feast, this celebration will make those weddings look like kids playing in a sandbox. The greatest wedding that has ever been or will ever take place, the greatest celebration from the king is yet to come. And people are invited. And yet, 
we continue, some, to turn down God's gracious invitation. Such is the stubbornness of the human heart. What about you? What about you today? I know we have many people watching who are believers, but there's somebody who's not. God extends this invitation to you today. Today is the day of salvation. This is the day we can choose Christ for yourself to give him your heart and life. Verse 5, the invitation is extended to, Jesus says, the farmer. And the way this word is actually written is one who owns his own farm or property. And so Jesus was saying, this invitation has been extended to those who think that everything exists for them. They have their own stuff, their own enjoyment, and still God extended that to them. But it also means more the blue-collar worker, the everyday man or woman. He extends that to them. He also says the invitation was extended to the merchant or the businessman. And some would see, for some reason, maybe the king and his son are a threat to their business interests. The indifferent guests at this wedding are also people who are preoccupied with their personal pursuits. And now more than ever before, we're we're finding that. People are more than ever choosing to ignore God, ignore church, ignore Jesus, ignore the Bible, ignore the verse of the Holy Spirit. And what do they do? Verse 5 says, But they made light of it and went away. Now the, the original language there could also mean it was a deliberate decision not to attend, negligence, carelessness. Now this is every person who hears the story of God, the story of God's love for you, the forgiveness of your sin. This is the story of everyone who hears that and says, I don't care. This is all a fairy tale. It's all nonsense. It's an emotional crutch. If I can't see it, I don't believe it. You go on and on, and we justify how we want to act and believe and move and do our lives, and people make light of it. Then if you continue to read this parable, not only is this invitation rejected by these people, it's also outright, outright rebelled against. They don't just say, no, I'm not coming, the RSVP. They kill the servants that sent, that brought the invitation. In verse 6, what, why? <laughs> I read that. Why would you do that? Why would you want to kill God's servants that are simply coming to invite you to the best party ever? I think they did that it's because they want to. Because they want to. It's kind of a simple answer. And so what happens? Look at verse 7. The king is enraged. Well, I can't blame him for that. He sends his troops. He destroys them, burns the city. It reminds me of Genesis 6, verse 3, that says... My spirit will not strive or contend with man or flesh forever. There is a point where God says, enough is enough. I love you, but I want you to respond to this invitation. But again, it is a choice of free will. Now, some will certainly say, I don't believe in a God who gets angry. I don't believe in a God who judges or would punish for sin. And I would say, just because you believe that, it doesn't make it true. If there is justice here on earth, as flawed as it is, 
and corrupt as it may be, why wouldn't there be justice and perfect judgment in the life to come by God who is perfectly just? See, when God gives his judgment one day on whatever it is, we will hear it and we will go, oh, okay. It makes perfect sense because God doesn't make mistakes. He's perfectly just in all his ways. If you look at verse 8, those who were invited were not worthy. So my question, of course, is why were they not worthy? Those who were invited, well, for one, they persecuted the servants. That's not good. And secondly, they rejected the invitation. The invitation came, and they simply rejected it. It is in this rejection, well, this invites the judgment. They almost invited on themselves. So what does God do in this, the king do in this story? Verse 9 and 10, the king alters the invitation list. He changes completely who is coming. Well, if they're not coming, we're going to invite somebody else. So he says, go out into the streets, go into the main road, and just bring in whoever you can because it's ready. Now, almost like go out to the highway and see who you can bring. Now, if you've ever been out on a highway, you know that people waiting on the sides of that road don't usually get special invitations. Imagine if you saw a billboard on Interstate 40 that said, come to the fanciest hotel in Atlanta or Charlotte or Greensboro? Maybe. Come, all the meals are free, entertainment's free, you get free clothing, it's all paid for. If you're rich, you're invited. If you're poor, you're invited. If you're religious, you're invited. If you're irreligious, you're invited. If you're moral, you're invited. If you're immoral, you're invited. Then they would all come, those who were worthy and not all who were unworthy. Not all good people would get invited. And that's why in verses 11 to 14, some people show up to this celebration. They're not dressed for it. They're not ready. Some are good and some are bad. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 13 where Jesus teaches about the parable of the sower. And he says, the kingdom of God is like one that scattered seed along the side of a road. Some of the seed fell on good soil and it grew and produced a crop. Some of the soil fell on hard ground and it never took root. Some of the seed fell on soil that got choked out by the weeds and the concerns and the affairs of the world. And Jesus every day is scattering his teaching, his seed into human hearts. And is the heart good enough or has the soil of the heart ready to receive what God wants to say? See, this is why even now in the visible church of Jesus Christ, well, there are good and there are bad people sometimes. There are a lot of people that maybe they prayed to follow Jesus or they got baptized when they were a baby, but their lives don't reflect that. They're still wicked. There's no sense of being led by the Holy Spirit or being obedient to Jesus Christ. They proclaim Christ with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. It's a dangerous place to be. So why do people do this? Well, for one, God, they maybe haven't given God their heart. They haven't given God all of that they are. They've relegated him to a, a little bit of time on the shelf, maybe here and there when I have time. That is not what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this is why so many people have a problem with the church. It's because that is the nature of being a hypocrite. You say one thing and do another. 
See, this heart invitation, if you will, this RSVP of the heart is extended to all people. But many don't respond to the RSVP. Jesus said, the way to destruction is broad and many people choose it. But the way to life is narrow and very few find it. This is Jesus' words. This invitation that God extends, it's dependent on our choice in the state of our heart before God, the RSVP of the heart. And I've said this before, if you've listened to me for a while, you know sometimes I like to watch videos of people who claim, well, they don't claim to have died, they died. But they claim to have gone to heaven. I just think this stuff fascinates me. And I heard a story about a guy named Dean Braxton, who was dead for an hour and a half. Now, at 17 minutes, your brain shuts down. At, after about 20 minutes, your body actually starts to break down. Your toes and fingers start turning black. Sorry to get gross. But he was dead for an hour and a half. He had a kidney stone, actually, and he went in to get it taken care of, and he went septic, and he's, he died. He didn't expect it. No one does. That's what happened. Now, he was a Christian at this point, but he said, when I got to heaven, now he's got a lot of stories. He travels the country and tells these stories, but he says, when I got to heaven, I was surprised by who was there and who wasn't there. He said, my Aunt Barbara was there. Now, he was thinking, Aunt Barbara is not going to be in heaven. But there she was. He said, on the outside, she had the external deeds. She was evil, he said. She was not a practicing Christian person. But you see, the Lord sees the unseen. The Lord knew her heart. He knew her faith. Maybe even at her, right before her death, she made a confession of Christ. I, we don't know. Only God knows. But she was there, he said. And there were a lot of other people I expected to see there that they weren't. The Lord sees the heart. Like the parable of this banquet or celebration or wedding, the first will be last, and the last will be first. Jesus is speaking literally here. The pompous religious person who expects others to serve them and refuses to serve others that looks down on other people and judges them falsely all the time, but they think they're so holy and righteous in a superficial, external way. It looks great, but your heart is selfish and wicked. Jesus says you will be last if you get in at all. See, the Lord sees our motive. He sees the unseen. He sees our heart. He sees why we do what we do. And when we get up there one day, and we stand at the throne of God, we stand before Jesus Christ and the beauty and love of who he is. Will he look at us and see Jesus on the inside of us? Will he know us or will he not? Will he look at us and just see us? Or will he see a temple of the Holy Spirit where he resides? In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable that touches on this idea of what it actually means to be right in God's eyes in this, and before God. And I'll paraphrase it. He said that there are two men who um, were 
were trusting in themselves and one regarded others with contempt. One was a Pharisee, one was a tax collector or just a wicked, selfish, stealing person. The Pharisee was standing and he was thinking to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other people. I'm not a thief, I'm not a prostitute, I'm not an adulterer, I am not like this guy that works for the IRS. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of my income. But Jesus said the tax collector, standing a far way off from the temple, would not even look to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, God sees the heart. He sees the heart. Man looks at the externals. God, man looks at the bling and the flash and the money and, the, and, the, and the, the, the bravado. God doesn't care about any of that. Jesus says, the man who beat his breast with the heart of a repentant sinner, he went home justified before God. But the other did not. All who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all who humble themselves will be exalted. Like James, in the book of James says, those who humble themselves before the Lord, the Lord will lift them up and give them honor. Now, as we're reading this parable of the wedding banquet in Matthew chapter 21, maybe you found yourself in this parable. Maybe you're the farmer that owns a lot of stuff. You're too preoccupied. Maybe you're the merchant or the businessman who has a lot of stuff as well, and you don't, want, you don't have time to let God wreck your life in a good way. Or maybe you're like those that just make light of it and think, eh, I'll take care of that later. I don't know if I'll RSVP or not. Or maybe you're one of those who is doing their best to invite as many people as they can you're one of those messengers out on the street telling people that the gates are open if you will step inside. You see, Christianity is not just a belief system. It's not just another option on the buffet line of America. It is the way. It is the way. And it is a narrow way. And not everybody chooses it. See, everyone on this planet will see for themselves one day the truth of who Jesus Christ is. So it is our goal in life to tell as many people as possible. And so the invitation that Jesus gives, that gives in this parable, it, he's never stopped giving it. And the invitation is extended today to you and to me to come in through those doors. What will you do with this invitation? How will you RSVP? Will your RSVP be, God, change my heart? God, have mercy on me, a sinner? Or will it be, no thanks, return to sender? See, Matthew chapter 21, it shows us this tension of celebration and eternal life and beauty and bliss beyond our comprehending with judgment. And they're both present in this parable. Jesus said, that before he returns, and I believe we're closer now than we've ever been, that the world will get wild. Jesus said it will be like the days of Noah. People will be getting married, they'll be going to the grocery store, and they're pretending like life's never going to end. But then, boom, the flood came. See, people don't want to read Revelation chapter 20, where Jesus comes back and he judges and the book of life is opened and everyone is judged according to their deeds. 
It is there. According to our actions, you see, now more than ever, God's gracious invitation to the celebration, to this wedding feast of the Lamb, it is more than ever imperative that people need to hear it and respond to it. It has nothing to do with how good you've been on the externals or bad you've been, but the state of your heart before God. And just simply by faith, open your heart and your mind and your soul to Jesus Christ. When he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. That is a statement of fact. And God's heart for you is that you would come through him who is the gate, the way, and the door to eternal life. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord, that your invitation to us it goes out across the face of the earth every day. And I pray for anyone listening or watching right now that, that has never done that, that they would open themselves, they would open the invitation. And that the way we RSVP to your invitation is simply by faith. Not because of how good we've been or how bad we've been. We might, we might think we're too broken to come to that party. I got, I got too many addictions, I got too many hang-ups. I'm used goods. And I would say to that person, welcome. You're, you're, come join the club. We're all broken in some way or another. That's why we need God in our lives. And for that person that goes, I don't have time for Christianity. It's an emotional crutch. I would say, well, again, you're in good company because we all need a crutch. We need a restoration of our body, mind, and soul. We need to experience the overwhelming beauty and presence of the Holy Spirit, not just in our lives, but inside our lives. So God, remake us into people that are even now living into this feast, this celebration, this wedding that is to come. Take our eyes off of what we see in our world today that is so dysfunctional and carnal and fleshly let us be like you, Lord, where we, you listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit and you responded. And, and it was confusing to those around. We may confuse people around us when we do that. And that's okay. The cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who have it, it is the gift of eternal life. Move within us, Holy Spirit, even now. Especially those watching that are broken on the inside. They're hurting. Move in their lives, Holy Spirit. Grant them the peace of God at this time. In Jesus' name, amen.